Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Welcome to this week's episode. So excited because this is one of my closest friends. This is a brother to me. Uh, brother from another mother, as they say, because we're not actually related, but you couldn't tell if you hung with us. So close, so wonderful person, John C. Lilo. Now, for everyone who, if you don't know John C. Lilo, he's the guy on security. So his company is CLEO on Security. He's the guy that corporate America is turning to to help people really make sure that their credit cards, their accounts, everything is secure, and they're living in a way that can be secure. He's been everywhere. He's been on TV. He's a Hall of Fame CPAE speaker uh, that is just brilliant, incredible human being. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you set the bar really high there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it deserves to be set high. You're, you're a spectacular person. And uh, you absolutely know that, uh, you know that your friendship is such a gift. That's why I want to have you on and talk about it because mindfulness is something you and I have explored together. Yeah. And so how do you, I mean, with you live such a busy life and you've had such a diverse challenge. For those who aren't aware, John had a very successful computing company that due to embezzlement, not just almost tore the company apart, but financially, personally took a hit at you because it appeared to be, you know, just took everything from you, all your security, uh, no pun intended, uh, financial security. So if you give a little background for our listeners to get some perspective, uh, because we're going to talk about how you came out of that and how mindfulness plays a role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the background is simply before cybersecurity and cybercrime were even, you know, really terms that we bantered about. Um, I had a, a business partner who was also a, frankly, a, a very close friend, my rock climbing partner. So this person that I trusted deeply with um, with my life and also with helping run my business, uh, he used my identity to embezzle from all of our clients. And um, it, it took this several million dollar uh, cloud-based software company and just destroyed it. Um, I had... Uh, district attorney's office knocking at my door. I had creditors. I had law enforcement. Um, so in, a, in a, the course from August 12th of uh, August 11th of 2003 to August 12th of 2003, I basically lost my career, um, my financial stability, uh, my connection with my daughters. Just you know, kind of all of it evaporated really quickly because of this, this one incident. And I spent the next, you know, arguably two active years and five passive years recovering from it. And how did you, once you get through the craze of the insanity of it, and we all have those moments in life that can be so difficult, those times in life, what was something that brought you back to center that helped you realize, okay, I, I still have 
or I, I can, I can rely on this. Uh, did you find mindfulness in those first three years or was that a later journey? No, actually a couple of incidents, one through my wife and one through one of my daughters. So my wife at the time, um, you know, for me, this was all kind of about two things, the betrayal of a friendship, which is really hard to go through and the financial troubles, just the pragmatic, like we didn't know where we were paying our next house payment from and she got a second job and, you know, it was, it was very pragmatic. And one night we're in bed and she said to me, listen, we'll, you know, it's time for you to get to move beyond the, the pain side of it, to do something different with it. We'll move into a trailer. We'll whatever. We, we don't need what we have. We've got everything we've got. And that was such a radical thought for me that it wasn't about the job. It wasn't about the the notoriety I gained. It wasn't about the money. It was none of that. It was about the relationships and not one of those other than Doug, my business partner who, who did all of this cybercrime, not one of those had disappeared from my life. And that was a very mindfully grounding moment. Now that doesn't mean I stayed mindful, right? That was like a one, one night and it, it pushed me into, into a different um, career. It pushed me a different direction into speaking and writing. But it was when my daughter, Sophie, who was five years old, came down. Now I'm, now I'm, a, uh, I'm not a speaker yet, but I'm a, a writer. I'm writing books on identity theft and cybercrime and still going through the criminal trial, which was a two-year criminal trial. And she comes padding down the stairs and tells me um, in no uncertain terms that I'm no longer reading her bedtime stories. I'm no longer there when I'm there. I'm not, when I look at her, I, it's not the same daddy. And, you know, it just still deeply affects me. But in that one second instant, everything in my life changed because I realized even though I had moved beyond what Doug had done to us, I moved beyond the criminal trial and feeling like I was going to jail and all of that, I hadn't moved to a point where I recognized what Mary had actually said, which is, it's all about us anyway. It's about your daughter and the attention that you pay her right in this moment. And I had just moved into turning it into a new career and, you know, focusing so much on the pragmatic side that I missed the personal side. And it was, it was my girl, Sophie, who brought that home to me that night. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how it was, it's painful to hear those words as a, as a parent. And I've been around you and your children and seen how much that means the world to you. So to have this child that, that is everything to you, say, you're not acting like my father. You're not acting like a dad to me. Uh, such a wake-up call. How did you also move past the guilt of that, right? Because there's also the, have I failed at some level that plays into our minds. Maybe you didn't have that at all, but some people would be like, well, now I've blown it. Yeah, well, I've spent the last 10 years overcompensating is how I've moved past it. <laughs> fill the void, fill the void. I'm, you know, I'm probably overly hovering, overly involved. I just sent my daughter a, you know, a package of, of L.L. Bean boots. And <laughs> I'm not sure it's all been healthy, but it's certainly been mindful. <laughs> 
Well, and as someone who's watched you watch your daughter go to college and all, you are all over it. There is no doubt about it. No one will deny your involvement with your kids. But, but a wake-up call does that for us. Do you think that part of the journey for you, some of the difficulty of everything you went through was, was also the previous background you had? I think for those listening, we, there's stereotypes that apply in there, but they can be real, right? You're Harvard-educated. You, you took over a, a family business and even helped to become even more successful. So there was this image of John Celio, right? Harvard-educated, successful business person. And I'm sure that had to play a role in when this all went down, I am not the person everyone thinks I am or I failed here. Does, does all that outside expectation, does that play a role in the difficulty? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody wants to lose what good things they have, you know, and and I had an amazing life and uh, I was an entrepreneur and had started things and created things. And, you know, I think what I've what I kind of relearn over and over, because, again, you know, I might say it today and lose it tomorrow and I have to come back to it is, you know, the impermanence of all the the material things just don't compare to the permanence of the relational things in my life. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's a slow speaking year or that I just had some amazing financial windfall. All of those things have modulated for me. And what really matters is that, you know, I continue to have these connections. Most importantly, you know, literally where I've drawn a target of what I want to be mindful about. And at the center of the target is is my wife and I. Those are the priorities. And a ring out are my daughters who are now old enough to have lives of their own and I can I can have them be further out. And really being conscious of of what fills my target and more and more it's the people and the experiences and less and less it's the money and the the trappings of all of it. Well, and I love that about you because since all of this happened, you did have a, a rev- a revolution in your life, built this speaking business, and it became very successful. So a lot of people could have fell right back into the old trap, right? And so you have had these great successes, and yet you've stayed mindful on a daily basis. How do you do that? What are routines? What are ways that you don't let success or fame or you know winning awards go to your head? I mean, we all enjoy them, and they feel great, but how do you keep that in perspective? Sometimes I don't. <laughs> Sometimes I lose perspective. But frankly, it just comes down to the people I surround myself with. You know the the saying, I can't remember who said it. It gets, you know, thrown out so much in the speaking world that you're as successful as the five people you surround yourself with, right? Well, for me, I'm as mindful as the five people that I surround myself with. So, my friendship with you keeps me more mindful. These conversations keep me more mindful. Mary and I having our Sunday ritual of um, walking out and and going for a walk to get to coffee and have a talk and spend that time together. That keeps me mindful about that relationship. Um, you know, in my work life, having regular um, you know non business meetings with my five four or five employees keeps me mindful to, to their life. So it's, for me, it's not about writing it on a, you know, a sticky note. It's not about a daily reminder. It's that every time that I am with somebody, 
I want to know what's going on in their life. It's kind of an, for me, mindfulness is outward facing. Um, and then meditation is for me, my inward facing. And that's kind of where I, I think through what's, what's going on for me emotionally, what's going on for me physically. And, and that's my, my own time to spend mindful about John. I love it. And what I love about what you said there was, and you didn't say this directly, but I know from our own conversations is that the five people around you are mindful. Yeah. If they weren't, you might not be where you are today. If Mary's not the mindful person that she is, you don't have that conversation. Maybe. No, but you know what that means, Mike? It means getting rid of a lot of people in my life that are not mindful. And that part's hard. Yes. And you do it well. Like when people approach you for help, you're mindful of who you help. And some people say, well, that sounds calculated. That sounds cold. No, you're very helpful. You're so giving, but you're going to make sure that it's not going to hurt you in the process. It's not going to drain your energy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really my, my greatest measurement in life is my energy that I'm able to give myself and to give others. And, and, you know, uh, you asked, where do I get some of my mindfulness? I also read about it constantly. I'm always in a new book. In fact, here's one. It's so strange. One that my business manager just gave me one minute mindfulness, Donald Altman. So there's something that sits literally within reach of my desk that at some point I, I pick it up, do one small creative thing at your workplace. Boom. And that's my mindfulness for today. So I just, I have reminders around that, you know, I say I'm not a sticky note person and I'm not, I'm not like a, John, I'm you not, do I'm realize, a, you realize that as we're saying this, there's a collage <laughs> of sticky notes behind you. So for anybody who cannot see the video is not watching this on YouTube or our channel, John has like 70 sticky notes perfectly diagrammed out in a beautiful formation behind him on the wall. But not about mindfulness. Okay. <laughs> oh, I felt so totally caught. <laughs> but but I want to go back there because it's so wonderful. I've met your daughters. They have. They are absolutely mindful, right? Your daughter's yeah. saying that to more you. than I am. Yeah, yeah. They and I don't know them more, but they're incredibly mindful. They're very much yeah. in 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 alignment with the energy of the world, with the emotions of the world. They feel it. That's mm-hmm. very apparent when you spend time with your family. And that's wonderful. Uh, your most five-year-olds wouldn't have the courage to say what your daughter said. They would just take it inside that my dad doesn't love me or my dad doesn't. But she had the mindfulness to say, dad, what's going on at five? I mean, that, so I think that's so important for all of us to listen to. Now you might be thinking, well, my kids aren't that mindful. Well, who else can you bring into your life? that can be mindful. Cause I think one of the mistakes we make is I don't have those people. Well, you got to find them. You're very intentional, John, on who you let in your life. So can you give an example of how, what's language you use when somebody approaches you and you're not feeling the energy? How do you not open that door? God, that is something that I, that I struggle with. Um, Oftentimes I, I initially say yes. So it's not like this is so good. And then I have time to think about it, right? When I meditate and I'm like, okay, I agreed to do this. Um, and and I, I go back and I think no. And so then what I'm doing is I'm approaching this after I've already committed, which for me, and I know for you, this is huge. When you commit, 
Like you are there, you are done, you have committed, you, you live up to your commitment so much. So I'm often having to back out of this, of this conversation. And the only thing I can do is be totally honest and say, listen, I have got a limited number of hours in my day and people that I can, that I can be with. And I've got to tell you, I've decided I can't take on this challenge. Now, I'm getting to the point, you know, you're a landmark person, so you, you get this. I'm getting to the point where I'm getting closer to doing it live. And that's my goal is to be able to say live, you know what? I really appreciate you thinking of me. I appreciate the opportunity. I have got, I'm going exactly where I want. I'm spending the time where I want. And I might be able to help you at a future time, but I just, I just can't do that now. And when I do that, nobody ever disrespects it. That's right, because you say it with authenticity. It's not cold. It's not, I don't have time for you. It's, it's honest and sincere. And to be fair, John, uh, as far as you know, you said, hey, Mike, you always live to your word. Because I didn't, I'm that much more aware of it now, right? If you asked my team uh, even four years ago, I would say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And maybe one out of five ideas I would actually do. But everybody on the outside saw me implementing. But they didn't realize is I mentioned 100 items and they saw me implement 20 and they went 20. How do you get 20 things done? But I said I was going to do 100. So what would happen is it would frustrate people around me. So I'd have the same discovery of what, you know, I can't, I have to say no, because what happens is I feel bad saying no. So I take on more. I have so many things going on. I do get a lot done, but I frustrate 80% of the time. So it wasn't healthy. So it was recognizing I'm not saying yes to anything that isn't in that one wheelhouse that I'm doing right now. Uh, otherwise it's just no. And that you're right. That's tough. But I think the key is letting those around us know what we are focused on. And that if it's not there, please don't ask me about it. What was the catalyst for you, Mike? I'm, I think I might know, but I'd be interested to hear. Part of it was doing Landmark, no doubt about it, uh, the advanced forum and, the, and, then, and then conversations with specific people that I could feel their frustration with me when I opened the door to this conversation. Uh, and I'm like, oh, man. And they'd be like, you know, well, then why do you say yes? And I broke down like with people really close to me. Because I feel overwhelmed. Like, you know, they're like, you're always shutting down my ideas. And I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. And like, I snapped. Right. And right. I realized, why didn't I say that to them two years ago? Why didn't I say that to them six months ago when they asked for the next thing? I've got too much. I can't handle it. There's this struggle to admit in our society, I can't handle that. I can't do that. I yes. wish I could. I can't. Can't do it. And so I think what you and I are discussing is the ability to look in the mirror and go, I can't do that. And I know I might physically be able to, but I emotionally and energy-wise can't do that right now. Yeah. And when it's good people asking, yes. it's really hard to say no. Yeah. People on your team that you love, right? You've surrounded yeah. yourself with a team that's awesome. We're very similar. We have family in our lives, in our businesses, yeah. uh, and who care deeply about us. And so if somebody comes up with a great idea, say no to your family. Right. For you, it's your parents. You work right with your parents. Uh, for me, it's my sister. And I've, we've talked about this before. That's that's tough. Now, Rita gets it. She's wonderful. Your parents get it. They're wonderful. It's you and I thinking, I can't let them down. I can't let down yes. my sister. And you, you're sitting there going, I can't let down my parents. Not realizing that us being happy is going to make them much happier than this one thing they want us to do. 
or they have Absolutely. an idea about maybe we could do. Maybe we half the time the stuff they're throwing at is because they think we might like it and be interested. It's not an expectation we have to do it, but we think that way. Yeah, and and I think I get the sense from being so close to you that you have such a clear idea of where it is that you're going and what's important of your target that that gives you permission and language and confidence to say no to the stuff that doesn't fall in that. I would say that that's true now that I've had the breakthrough of saying no is more honest than saying yes. Right. Right. And so, I need that breakthrough. I need to make that jump from saying yes and going back and saying no. That's kind of currently where I'm, you know, where I, I live. And what I need to do is say no up front and still keep the friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Because for you and I, we've talked about Landmark before, but, you know, Landmark, your word is everything. So if I say yes to you and I don't do it, I lack all integrity is what I had to look in the mirror and say to myself, and don't get me wrong, we all still do it at times, right? We still take on things I shouldn't have taken on. I shouldn't have done that. Um, so it still happens, but at a much smaller level of being able to recognize that if I say no to you, I'm going to be honest. And honesty is the most caring thing I can do, right? So if I'm honest in saying I can't do this, I free you of an expectation now. So you can move on without this, concept in your head that's not going to happen and frustrating yep very cool I, I love this it's like you this is like one of our for anybody listening this is just john and i having a phone call at the time so <laughs> into this stuff <laughs> it is and you know the the um it, we're here talking about mindfulness but isn't it amazing all that goes into something that you know as simple as mindfulness like it's it's work right mindfulness yes, is work it is and when we you know I, i've mentioned before on this list that sean stevenson's a friend of mine and you I, you know of sean uh and he has this list of a you know a good day list and a bad day list and when he's doing these things to start his day and during his day see, he tends to have a good day and when he's doing these things he tends not to have a good day i, I always think it's the epitome of mindfulness and i notice it doesn't mean I have to do meditation every day, but my days go smoother when I do. So I notice that when I don't take that moment for mindfulness, it just the day's more hectic to take that 20-minute break in the middle of the day. It just brings something to the day. And that's why it's work to say, am I willing to do everything I need to do to bring my greatest self to this place right now? Because that's what mindfulness does. It allows us to be aware, am at my greatest self right here, right now? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always searching for that. I mean, uh, you know, I'll get off of this call and be more mindful for it and then need help again. Yeah. And, but that's, that's the cool part, right? Because we're human. This is nonstop for us. Yeah. And it's so worthwhile. Well, yeah, it's fun. That's the cool thing. Like that book you have, it was what one minute mindfulness. Is that what it was? Right. Yeah, one minute mindfulness. One yeah. minute mindfulness to just read it is just like oh, it's like a it's like um a refreshing wind coming through, right? Just like oh, a little breeze hit me there. Not only that, but sometimes it can be a massive hurricane in a good way coming through. Like I'll be caught up in my own stuff, to put it very mildly, and I'll do something like that. Or the one that that has done wonders for me is the old power of um, power of now or whatever it was, yep, uh, Eckhart Tolle, Tolle, yep. right? Which I just 
I, I keep on my phone for when I travel, and when I get in my head, I will read a single passage of that, and not that that's any more special than any book, but it it wipes away the slate of what I was thinking before, and it does bring me back to, okay, life is way larger than the thing that I am obsessing about right now, anxious about right now. Take a look at the broader picture. And the same thing, like I know that you look out on, on the view on your property and I look out at my mountains in Colorado and those do the same type of things. Nature for me is the greatest, um, the greatest instigator of mindfulness for me. So if I can get into nature, even a walk in my busy, you know, city neighborhood, that for me is an automatic trigger. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. If I get outside, it, like yesterday was a beautiful day and I was only outside a little bit and our dog is gone right now. She'll be back in a few days. But uh, I was like, oh, she's not here. I would have taken her for a walk today. And then you have to stop and go, well, why did I take myself for a walk? Right. Right. Why, didn't, why did I need the dog to give me an excuse to do that? Why didn't I just take myself for a walk? But it's the mentality of I, we need excuses versus no, I need this. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't mean the dog needs to walk. I need a walk today. Yes. Yeah, and giving yourself that, that right and that permission isn't so easy because we've got bells dinging and we've got people texting and we've got emails coming in and it's hard to set it all down. And, you know, for me, stillness is another one. And we've talked about that before, you know, kind of that gift of stillness. It's very hard to be still in a world that's constantly moving so fast around us and you've got to carve it out. Yeah, and our energy thrives off being, thinking, moving, our brain moving, us moving. You and I are that way. We're wired that way. Not all are, but we're wired that way. And so the stillness allows that to rejuvenate itself too because you're actually not built to wire, not, to think nonstop, but we've trained ourselves to do it. So to, to train ourselves to slow that down. And you give yourself permission that a lot of people don't. You're, you're comfortable, or at least you appear to be comfortable as Someone as close as I am to you, I've gotten to see you with emotion. You're, you're, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a crier. Yes, yes. And I love that about you that there's a no holds bar there, that you are who you are and you're okay with that. It's, and we know in our society, for a man, somebody who identifies as a man, to be okay with that is not the norm. What got you there? Has that always been there? Or did that come about through a process of, I'm okay with feeling my emotions? I think I've been pretty comfortable with it my whole life because my parents were comfortable with it. And, you know, I'm kind of a mama's boy. And and also because, again, Mike, the people that I've surrounded myself with value that person. So I don't know if the world values it, but the people that I'm around all the time value that. And the people that don't, I'm not around anymore. Yeah. It's once again, who you choose, right? Yeah. Exactly. Do you, so there's this interesting mindset that we're, we're sort of touching on now, which is being very careful of who we let into our circle. How do you answer the person who says, but then you're only hearing one part of the world? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. And what you're saying is, I'm okay with only hearing my part of the world because it helps me be where I need to be. Yeah, and and in small cases, I venture out of the world. But my the life I live and and the world I see is is good enough. 
And do I venture out and try and get new perspectives? Yes. But that's me making the choice of going outward rather than allowing everything into my world to disrupt what I'm very, very satisfied with. Yeah, I love this conversation because I know a lot of people in our world or in the business world or uh, who say, I need to find five people more successful than me to surround myself with so I can grow and learn from them. But they might not have the moral or emotional or they might not have the same core values in alignment and you're always out of place. Right? Yeah, and now when you say that, I got to thinking, well, you know what? I have made friends with five people who are more successful monetarily than I am, who have achieved more from a contribute to the world perspective, but they also are mindful and emotional and friendship is first and they haven't sacrificed the things that are most important, the character issues. So I might go find the greatest speaker, most successful person in the world that I want to emulate. And I'm thinking of a woman now who, who is that person who is not the person that I'm going to surround myself with (laughs) because of who they are. Right. They got to have both. Right. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to not be with them because they're rich or because they've achieved more than I have speaking wise. They have to have both to be in a small and because I have a small tribe, you know, a small inner tribe, huge outer tribe. I I, I get to determine, listen, yeah, I mean, they happen to be wealthy. Great. I can learn a ton from that. Yeah. And you and I both have someone who's a friend of mine and you know this person too, but obviously I won't say we're bringing up wealth. I won't say their name, but, uh, an incredibly successful speaker in our industry who financially I'm nowhere in the realm. Don't, I'm not complaining. I, I, you and I both are very fortunate to, to live the lives and that fortunate. We worked hard, but you're still fortunate. We're still privileged. Uh, there's a lot that comes with that, but this person makes our situation look, uh, look like pennies on the dollar. Um, but the most giving person, the most caring person, if you called him, he's going to spend the time with you. Uh, he's going to call you for advice. Like whether he calls you or not has nothing to do with how much money you made compared to how much money he made. That's the circle we're talking about, right? Like, yes, adding people you can learn from, but do they want to learn from you? Because if you're only adding people you want to learn from, what do they have in this? Well, how do you add to their life, right? They should want to learn from you. There should be a mutuality in that. There should. And, you know, I I don't know if this totally relates to mindfulness, but uh, my wife and I um, spend a lot of time talking about the couples that we hang with and and have pruned many couples that we hang with because the conversation, we measure it kind of by conversation. And is it back and forth? Do they want to know from me? Do they want to know who I am as a person? Do they want to give of who they are and be vulnerable of who they are? And by the way, does it work in multiple directions? Not just me to the male in the group, not just Mary to the female, but do we have interchange back and forth? And, you know, that's a very, I guess that's a very mindful way to have couples relationships. And what it has meant is we don't have that many that are really center core because getting four people who work together in that way um, that live close enough <coughs> to, to be with consistently, 
it's not so easy. But man, over the last 10 or 15 years of thinking through this, we've got four or five couples that are to die for, you know, that, yeah. that we would literally put our life on the line for. That's awesome. That is wonderful. And that's where we're wrapping. Uh, we're, I want to thank you, John, because that, that puts it all together on such a beautiful point of don't get caught up in how many, right? It's about the quality. And mindfulness is about that. It's not about how much. It's about how many. Even with meditation, it's not whether you do 20 minutes. If you do 20 minutes where you're not really present, but you do five minutes to present, well, the five was more valuable, right? And I think that that's come throughout this conversation today, where are you finding the quality of who you surround yourself with, what you surround yourself with? It's the quality, right? It's, the, it's that alignment of what you need. Hey, I appreciate the quality of, of this podcast and of you as a friend. Well, likewise, John, you know how much I love you. So I want to thank you for joining us today. And so grateful that all of uh, the show, all of our listeners, followers, got to hear your brilliance and your humanity, which is what, what I love about you. Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, of course. We'll look forward to having you back on again. So for everyone (laughs) listening out there, remember you can get all the show notes at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. You can learn all about John. We'll have the links to him. He's brilliant. You'll find he's got videos. You'll see clips from him on TV. Everything will be there for John, for you to be able to reach out to John. And if you want a speaker on security, maybe you work for a company, an organization, this is the person to bring in. So check it out, Everyday Mindfulness Show. And may you make today and every day a little bit of mindfulness. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.